You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, San Antonio Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, Noah McGarrow-George, and that's my co-host, Damian Bartonic. Man, how are you doing today on this fantastic Friday? I'm feeling pretty good knowing that I'm officially on spring break. Uh, it's my last <laughs> spring break as a college student. I graduate in December. So, I mean, it's a little bittersweet, right? Because, like, you know, like, your life's going to change here within the year and stuff like that. But overall, man, I'm feeling good, uh, ready to talk about the Spurs. I'm ready to talk about some topics that, you know, normally we kind of keep it really, like, on the court. But we have a topic here that's going to start off that's off the court. You know, obviously it deals with stuff on the court, but it's kind of more off the court and just thinking out loud and stuff like that. So I'm really excited, brother. For sure, I'm excited too, and just so our listeners know, we're recording this pod on Friday, March 11th at about noon central time here, so we've got a handful of interesting topics to tackle today, so let's just dive right into them, starting with the most pressing matter at hand, which of course, Dame, you know this, head coach Greg Popovich, one went away from the all-time regular season victories record, all-time, like ever, nobody's ever going to have more than him, one away, so one, how important is this record to his legacy as a coach? Does it change his standing among the all-time great play callers in NBA history? And when will the Spurs pick this win up? Is it in their future? Is it is it coming soon? Is it coming later? When is it coming? So you can tackle those in whatever order you want to, but we're gonna hit all those eventually. Uh, I think that I think he's gonna he's gonna get it against the uh, against the Pacers tomorrow. Or when you're listening to this, it'll be so Saturday. Saturday's game against the Pacers is when I would think. I think in terms of like what it means for his legacy. For me personally, kind of growing up and and seeing, you know, we've me and you, you know, I'm 23, you're 25, right, 26. We've seen a lot of great coaches, right? I mean, you've seen a lot of fantastic coaches even today, right? You see the Eric Spolsters of the world, just a, a lot of really good coaches, right? And it seems like Pop is just that next level, man, where like it doesn't matter where, you know, where he's at, where the team's at, you know, on the floor, where the organization's at, you know, what direction they're heading, you know the Spurs are going to be putting out their best possible product, and there is no wasted movement. There is no wasted, you know, game. There, there, there's nothing wasted with Coach Pop. And for me personally, I think he is probably the greatest coach uh, in NBA history. When you just look at the totality of his work, from you know five titles in three different decades, uh, he has the most playoff wins all time. Not only that, too, man. I mean, the ability to get the absolute most out of every single player that you have on your on your roster more times than not and not only that too structuring your team around these skill sets where you know it could be really difficult and go against your basketball philosophy kind of right like we've seen over the years where especially with like DeMar DeRozan they're taking you know a ton of mid-range shots and he's really just killing it from inside the two inside the three-point line but the NBA's trend uh, trending in a completely different direction so to a fault you're kind of playing to you know your certain players' strengths, but I think that's kind of the beauty in his you know ability to coach and and be a leader is just to really make everyone feel a part of this team and feel like they're going to have a, a role in this even if they're not even playing at all. So for me, Noah, I think this win is kind of just the the, the cherry on top of what is you know in my opinion the greatest coaching resume in the history of basketball. Yeah, I think that's a fair thing to say. I mean, he's up there with guys like Phil Jackson, Red Arbach, Pat Riley, Larry Brown, Don Nelson, Rudy Tomjanovich, Lenny Wilkins. I mean, you name it. Like, he is one of the GOATs. You could argue he is the GOAT, like the greatest ever. And I understand, like, 
people will say, you know, Phil Jackson, he had Kobe and Shaq, and he also had Michael Jordan, and that Pat, Pat Riley had, had a, an abundance of superstars with the Showtime Lakers, and pretty much every great head coach ever has their guy or their guys. You know, Pop had Timmy, he had Kawhi, he had Tony and Manu, he had David Robinson for a hot minute. And so, yes, I understand people will make the argument that, oh, you know, Pop is is washed, you know, he, he's not winning anymore, he's not going to the playoffs, but when you don't have a generational talent on your team, that's kind of how it goes. So I don't think there's any argument against Pop being one of the best coaches ever. You know, we've heard about everything that he does on the court. But we we often, I think if you're not in San Antonio or you're not a Spurs fan, you don't realize how much he does off the court. You know, he's really important to the community. He makes a lot of donations. He does a lot of community service. You know, he's a big advocate for social inequalities, or I guess he's an advocate for social equality. And he just does so, so much on and off the court. He cares for these players. There's only like a handful of guys who you hear talk badly about him. And it's usually those guys who kind of haven't gotten over themselves, whether it's like a Steven Jackson or a Robert Ori. It's guys who are like, well, if you had done more, or well, if you had given me more opportunity, or if you had put me in this role. But, you know, Pop does, like you mentioned, he has put people in the most ideal roles possible, and he's gotten results from that. And I think it's hard to say, you know, this guy is not one of the best ever. I mean, it's clear. Like, even if he doesn't end up winning against the Pacers, which I do think they will, I think that's also when they're going to get the record. He already has more wins in the playoffs and regular season all time than anybody. So I kind of agree with you. It's sort of like the cherry on top, but I don't know that it adds a lot to his legacy because I think he's already cemented it. Like he could go 0-82 next season as the head coach, and I would still say, oh, you know, well, Pop's one of the GOATs ever, like hands down. So I don't know that it does a lot for his legacy or his standing among the all-time great head coaches and play callers in NBA history, but... Just the stuff that he's been able to do is impressive. And I think the one thing that stands out to me among everything, 22 straight playoff appearances. Now, you know, Tim Duncan, Kawhi, Tony Manu, you know, they have a lot to do with that. But no one else has done that except for one team. And they didn't have one coach the whole time. The Sixers did that, you know, early into the league's history. And the fact that the Spurs were able to tie that record in an era where, you know, guys are leaving left and right. I think it speaks volumes to what Pop has been able to do. And no, they're not in the playoffs right now. They're probably not going to make it this season. But I don't think that takes away from his legacy at all. Yeah, I think for me too, kind of echoing a specific point you made about Steven Jackson. Even uh, a Steven Jackson who I like, I listen to their podcast a good bit. Uh, I've listened to you know some old episodes. There's still a really, really deep respect there for him. And that's one thing I think with any player, with when when you have coaches and when you're coaching great players, not to say Steven Jackson is an, all, is an all-time great, but just when you're coaching good to great players, you need to be that that firm kind of leader of of you know of men like we hear all the time, right? Whether it's whatever position or whatever coach, you have to be a leader, right? And no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, it seems like Pop always always gets that respect from anyone, and he doesn't do it in a way, Noah, that like. I know growing up with sports for me, leadership and, and how like kind of I was raised just in general, it was very like firm, very strict. Like if you don't do this, I'm going to do this, right? It was kind of, that was kind of the environment like I kind of grew up in. Pop doesn't seem like that guy, right? Like, yeah, well, you'll see him get mad, you know, and upset with his players and, oh, you need, you're messing up, blah, blah, blah. But there's a lot that goes into leadership than just being aggressive. And we, like, I don't know if you read it earlier today, it was a really weird, like, uh, segment thing that DeMar DeRozan said that Pop made them watch like a National Geographic story <laughs> about penguins and tied it into 
basically everyone needs to be, you know, together and be on a roll, blah, blah, blah. And like little things like that, Noah, I think speak volumes to the man and the leader that Coach Popovich is. And really, he that's what embodies who the Spurs are. It's just that overall just ability to lead and 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 take charge, make change, be consistent. And it's crazy, right? Making change, being consistent doesn't always go together, but that's exactly what the Spurs have been and yeah, man, I think it's been it's been super dope to, you know, see the Spurs over the years, man. I'm probably rambling a little bit. Uh, it just it's fun talking about all-time great coaches, man. So, uh, I'll kick it to you to close it out. <laughs> of course, and I I just think it's like kind of interesting if you think about the record because he's going to get the record. There's no way they lose like the, every game for the rest of the season and he doesn't get the record. That's not going to happen. But once he gets to, gets this record, it makes me wonder, will anyone ever be able to catch that? Right, because like I think the logical candidates are guys like uh, maybe Steve Kerr, per- perhaps Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers is not that much younger than Pop, so like he's probably not gonna catch Pop. Like that's probably not gonna happen. And even Steve Kerr, who's had a lot of success with Steph Curry, with Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, those guys are kind of on. Not I'm not saying they're like on their way out of the league. They're not like super old, but they're not as young as they used to be. They're no. in their 30s now, and like he's miles away from getting that so it's just one of those records that you know we talk about you know Wilt scoring 100 that'll probably nobody will ever do that no one will ever break that record that, that to me this is one of the unbreakable sports records because I just don't see it happening because everything had to align perfectly right you had to get Timmy and then alongside with Timmy you already had David Robinson and then once David Robinson was sort of you know fading out of the league you know riding into the sunset you had Tony you had Manu and then you landed Kawhi Leonard along the way. And so for me, I don't like, yes, he was excellent coach. The circumstances were great too. And I don't see those two things lining up for anyone anytime soon to make a run as historic as Pop has had since he became head coach in 1996. I just don't see it being broken. Yeah, and that's a that's another great point. I, I kicked it to you to see, see if I was going to close it out, but you're making great points that I just got to counter as well, man. Like, I think another crazy record, too, that we talk about, because there's so many, right? Like, whenever Russell Westbrook first got the triple-double, you were like, no one's ever going to do that, and then he did it, right? This is legitimately a record that I don't think anyone – I mean, thinking off the top of my head, like maybe Brad Stevens, because Brad Stevens is like a younger coach, right? But he's not but, even a coach anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, he's the yeah. general manager. So, yeah. like, Ime Udoka, yeah. like, yeah, I just don't yeah, see like, it happening. You know what I'm saying? Like, if, if he was to come back or, like, something like that, maybe because he's young or something. But, like, what are you going to do, right? Like Eric Spolstra, maybe. Eric Spolstra, but he would yeah. have to have, like, a really incredible run. And, like, I love Bam and I love yeah. Tyler Hero. But, like, also Jimmy Butler's their best player. And he's, you know, I think he's, what, 33, 34? Yeah. And think, about, and think about all the good coaches that, like, have had good players and they haven't been able to win. Like, Rick Carlisle was a fantastic coach. And,. Couldn't figure anything out in Dallas with a player that everyone's assuming is the next Larry Bird, right? Like, think of all all the really really good coaches that have you know been through the NBA or that are there right now. And yeah, man, it just speaks to his greatness. And I think overall, you you just you just can't take this you can't take this away from him. Like, I I think I think this is kind of it. Like, there's no way I think someone can tell me like Coach Pop isn't the greatest coach ever. Like. I think I'm I'm firmly <laughs> in that position, man, to be honest. <laughs> no, I think I'm right there with you, and there's probably a little bit of bias from us because, you know, we cover the Spurs. We also grew up San Antonio Spurs fans, but I think you look at the resume. There's I just don't think that there's a good argument against him. I know you could probably make an argument for guys like Red Arbog. You probably make an argument for a guy like Phil Jackson, maybe even Pat Riley if you really want to go there. But 
at that point, you're splitting hairs. They're all so close. Yeah. You could say, you know, so-and-so's the GOAT or so-and-so's the GOAT, but they all have a case. I just feel like Pops is the strongest. Now, it's going to be kind of tough to transition. I don't know how you really transition from talking <laughs> about an all-time great, a future Hall of Famer, but I think we kind of need to discuss the question mark here about Col Zach Collins. And maybe it's an exaggeration to say he's an all-time question mark for the organization, but <laughs> he is a question mark right now. So I'm just looking at what he's been able to do I mean we talked a little bit about him on the last pod but he's sort of been an enigma for the Spurs since he came back you know we saw him have a really strong debut against the Houston Rockets but since then he's sort of been like if, if we're going to be honest meh so how would you handle Zach Collins for the remainder of the season what what exactly are you looking for from him you know as a former lottery pick who's now you know a backup center for the Spurs and should Pop in the front office even really feel committed to him long-term behind Yaka? Because I think there's a chance that they could upgrade elsewhere. So I, I want to get your opinions on those three things for sure. Yeah, so first, you know, he's only going to be making $7.3 million next, next year with only half of it guaranteed. So technically, like, they don't need to be committed to him in any sense. I mean, you're going to eat, you know, what, $3.5 million if you get rid of him after this year. So, I mean, you don't have to be committed to him in any sense. I think... One thing that me and you both mentioned, you know, whenever he was coming back and, and, you know, whether it was his time in Austin coming to San Antonio, is you wanted to kind of really see him carve out a role for himself, get up to speed. Uh, you weren't expecting him to be an all-star, but you were expecting him to kind of solidify himself as that backup five. And when you look at the numbers, man, especially like <laughs> to start <laughs> his return right to the NBA, uh, they're not pretty. I mean, committing 47 fouls and turnovers to just 32 steals, blocks, and assists like combined – that's that's tough. I mean, not only that too, just as a role man, he he ranks in the 58th percentile at a frequency percentage of 26.7 percent. You know, 1.15 points per possession. I mean, you don't really know. Like, I don't even like I said on the last episode. I don't even know what he's like, quote unquote, good at right now. Like, what can you do on a consistent basis? Like, yeah, you can say, oh, you know, he looks like he's switchable, or and, and you know, he can stretch the floor and stuff like that. But like. We haven't seen that this year, right? I mean, he shot, he shoots 32% from three for his career, and, and you know, this year he's shooting 33.3%. Like, that's below league average. Like, that's not a, a someone that you can say, oh, yeah, he stretched the floor. Oh, yeah, that, 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 that's a that's a four-spacing five. Like, no, man, like, you, you really have no idea. So I think right now I would continue to play him. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, just get rid of his minutes. i definitely let him kind of ride this out and – Hopefully he can get up to speed and build, you know, some sort of momentum, some sort of consistency that can kind of potentially leapfrog him in, you know, to the offseason and hopefully in the next year. But, I mean, in all honesty, they shouldn't be committed to him in any sense. And I don't think that they will be. You know what I mean? Like, I agree with you 100% that they probably should upgrade, to be honest, if it's available. Yeah, I mean, I think they should look to upgrade. That's not to say that they shouldn't keep him around next year and give him an yeah. opportunity to win a spot in training camp or throughout the season or whatever. But again, I want to go back to the you know the turnovers and the fouls. Like you talked about, forty-seven fouls to thirty-two you know steals, blocks, and assists, or the forty-seven fouls in turnovers. I just want to put that in perspective. That means as of right now, like as we're recording this podcast, that means a little over a fourth or a quarter of his offensive possessions that the Spurs have had when he is on the floor have ended in a turnover. And a fifth of his possessions have ended in a foul. That's not good. That's really, really bad. You don't want that sort of ratio of fouls to, to possessions or turnovers to possessions. 
And I think we've seen interesting flashes of him be able to, you know, he's in the post, he sees a cutter, he hits a cutter, he can get an open shooter if he gets an offensive rebound. Like, he he puts the work in. It's not an, an, a matter of, is the effort there? But I, I keep going back to this as well. You know, he's a switchable defender. You know, he can stretch the floor. I mean, that's just really never been the case. I know, okay, for his career, we're talking about him shooting, you know, poorly from three, about 32.5% from his career, 33.3% this season. But you go season by season by season, I think people are really hanging on to the season in which he shot 37% from three, and he really didn't take that many threes that season. You know, he had 24 attempts in a season in which he missed most of the year because he had a shoulder injury that required surgery, and he missed like 70 of the games. Like, I just don't know why we're saying, not just, you know, me and you, but like fans, media, why we're advertising this guy as a guy who can shoot the three. And I understand the switchability thing. Yeah, before all the, the foot surgeries, before the shoulder injuries, he looked relatively switchable. He looked good. But one thing that just, it, st it sticks out like a sore thumb, Dame. I, I don't know how to put this nicely, but he's been really bad. You know, when, when he's switched on to point guards, shooting guards, small forwards, he's allowing them to shoot 61.2% against him. That's not a guy who screams switchable. That number, just to me, it's it screams, I'm a turnstile. Like, you get a switch, yeah, we're going to hunt you. Chicken. We're going to hunt yeah. you. And so, you know, yes, it is a small sample size. Things can improve. But as it stands right now, the lateral mobility does not look good. He hasn't been much of a rim protector. Not really much of an event creator either. I went through, I've been watching the film. I'm, I'm writing an article about Zach right now. Most of his steals, you could argue that he deflected the ball. And it, yes, like it sent the ball in the air, but someone else corralled the, the ball. Like, yes, he, he created an event there, but he's not really like stealing the ball and forcing a transition. Like in all of his offensive possessions right now, the Spurs have only been in transition once with Zach on the floor. So I, I just, I'm hesitating to see where these things that have been advertised are going to translate. Maybe they will, but I, I'm a little concerned. Like if I'm the Spurs, I'm a little bit concerned about where Zach is right now. Yeah, and that's another thing too is just what are they going to do? Like for a team that, that already lacks versatility, like switch ability, switch ability like you were mentioning, especially like defensively, it doesn't help that, you know, the guy that you quote-unquote brought in that's supposed to be switchable, like, just isn't showing that. And like you mentioned, 61, per, you know, allowing a 61.2% of field goal percentage against basically the guys that you're quote-unquote supposed to be able to switch and defend. I mean, I don't know. I don't know where they go from here with him. Like, I obviously said, like, keep playing him, blah, blah, blah. But I wouldn't be looking at Zach Collins heading into this offseason as, like, yeah, we're solidified at the back of five. Like you know, the Spurs are good to go. Like absolutely not. I don't. I don't think. I. I don't think anyone really at the at the three, the four, and the five, especially off the bench. But even the starting, you know, three and four. I don't think there is very many people that are quote unquote safe. Like the Spurs need to upgrade, especially at those three positions. More so the back of five than the starting five. But I just think in general, Noah, for a team that already lacks vers uh, versatility, uh, switchability on the defensive end. A guy like Zach Collins just hasn't made that, you know, hasn't given an answer to that problem. So I I, I think it's a really, really tough uh, situation right now. And do you want to play just like a little bit of trivia? I know we do this like pretty much every week, but yeah, you know, I got to get one. I got to get one in every single week. So, OK, so I'll give you a number. And this is just since Zach Collins came into the league. So 2017, the average NBA center, which is what he's classified as this season. 
has shot at least on average, the average NBA center has shot 71% at the rim. If you had to take a guess at Zach Collins' finishing numbers at the rim, do you think he has finished above average or at average at the rim in any of his seasons? Like just based on what you've average. seen this year. Average. Average to below average, I would imagine. Do you think he's hit average in any of his five seasons? I get you know, the injured season is doesn't count, but any of the four seasons this year. No, he he hasn't. You know, his rookie season, fifty of eighty eight from from at the rim, fifty six point nine percent, well below league average and well below center league average. You know, he he comes back twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen, it improves a little bit, sixty two point six percent. Then the next year, you know, sixty point six percent drops down a little bit, you know, he gets injured. And this year with the Spurs, granted, very limited sample size, so I will give him the benefit of the doubt a little bit. 52.2% at the rim this year. So for his career, he shoots 59.1% at the rim. That's right around where Lonnie Walker, who up until like the last like month, had been finishing for his career. That's not good. So if he's not going to be able to knock down threes and stretch the floor, if he's not going to be able to finish in the paint as a roll man, if he's not really much of a mid-range shooter because he also shoots 29% from mid-range, you know, on 107 attempts for his career, and he's not going to be switchable and he's not going to defend the rim and he's going to commit a lot of turnovers and he's going to foul a lot, like historically throughout his career has done these things, what does he bring to the table? Like, I'm not saying to give up on Zach Collins by any means. I'm right with you when you said, you know, write it out. Let's see what he can do for the rest of the season. Maybe he improves, but... He's not DeJounte Murray. Like, DeJounte Murray tore his ACL, you know, took a few years to get back, and now he's an all-star. But that's not the trajectory for everybody, right? Like, not everybody suffers a significant injury, comes back, and then they're an all-star. Like, I I just don't – and I don't expect him to be an all-star. Like, I want to make that clear. I don't think he's going to be an all-star. I don't think anybody said that. But can he even be a serviceable role player? Because right now, he's been hurting the Spurs more than he's been helping them. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think this is actually a really good transition to into another player that the Spurs are going to have a lot to consider with this summer and in in, in general like where the Spurs are at right now, man. Like yeah, I yeah. hate I hate to, you know, continue the negative train, but you know, veteran sharpshooter, you know, Doug McDermott, you know, he provides a lot of spacing for the Spurs that they need, right? Especially for shooting the ball, they have they've had a lot of trouble over the last couple of years as the volume increases, the numbers have kind of been a little bit the same and uh really no, I I got to ask, man. Do you think the Spurs, you know, will eventually move Doug to the second unit? You know, do you think that they're actually like using him properly to maximize his skill set, or do you think they should be open to trading, uh, you know, Doug McDermott this off season? And and maybe like I, I know when I wrote the script for this podcast, so that we have like topics to talk about and we know what we're talking about. That was one of the things I was like iffy about writing is you know should we talk about Doug being moved this off season because it's so early. But for me, the answer has to at least be think about it. Like, they have to, at the very least, think about it. I mean, again, as you mentioned, you know, Doug is a sharpshooter. He's a vet. He understands the game. He's the son of a really well-respected coach, his father, Mr. McBuckets, if you will. He coaches (laughs) at Creighton. He played for, uh, you know, his dad there. So he's a coach's son. He understands how the game works, but he has athletic limitations. He has offensive and defensive limitations. And look, if he's not knocking down three-pointers, and he hasn't been recently— I just don't know how much value he has. Now, yes, he's not going to shoot like 27% from three like he has over the last like eight or nine games for the rest of his time here. But you can't like, I just don't see you being able to play him next to Keldon Johnson and that working as your three, four. Keldon is a decent defender who he leaves a lot to be desired. 
Doug has been one of the worst. I'll let you get into the numbers, but Doug has been one of the worst defenders in the NBA bar none this season. And it hurts me to say that. I like Doug, but that's just the honest truth. He has been awful. Yeah, so right now he's allowing 51.6% field goal percentage as a defender, which, you know, that's ninth worst in the NBA among players that have contested at least 300 shots. Uh, No, I don't remember what DeMar DeRozan's numbers were. If you remember them off the top of your head, I would love to hear them, but... I know one thing that a lot of people talked about last year was how bad DeMar was on the defensive end, and I know Doug hasn't looked much better, at least this season. Another thing, too, that I find interesting is, so Doug, right now, he's shooting 42.2% from three. Uh, That's good for seventh in the NBA. You know, the catch-and-shoot numbers look good. He's a uh, 41.7% catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. The spot-up numbers look really, really good as well. He places like in the 71st percentile. But, you know, ever since the Spurs came back from the All-Star break, he's shooting only 27.6% from the floor. And I understand, you know, obviously that's not going to be what he's going to shoot for the remainder of the year. I get that. But when you have specialists like McDermott, right, who are very one-dimensional, you know, obviously as an offensive talent, he can do a lot off the ball, right? So that's not what I mean by one-dimensional. I mean, he's obviously a plus offensively. Defensively, he's a minus. But whenever he's a minus on offense, oh, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in it's a like lot Brent of trouble. It's like Brent Forbes. It's like a big yeah. Brent Forbes. Like exactly. if he's not knocking down shots, then he's hurting you because he's yes. not bringing anything else on the other side of the court. A hundred percent. And that's why like a bench move would be like, you know, understandable. I think it actually would kind of help the Spurs a little bit there, especially if they can get someone at the three or the four, uh, you know, next year. But he makes a lot of money, man. And I don't know how much, I don't know what bench players like, you know, immediately that you sign to start or will be fine with coming off the bench and making, you know, $13.75 million, you know, over the next two seasons, like, or for the next two seasons, rather. So I don't know, I don't know if it's even likely that they would do something like that. I think it's smart. I definitely think it's the route they should take, because I think Doug off the bench would be sensational, uh, you know, really give so the Spurs a little bit of spark, a little bit of just off-ball spacing, just kind of stuff that they really need. But I just don't think it's likely, Noah, like, when you signed Doug, everyone thought, like, okay, he's going to start immediately for you, 3-4, like, you're good to go. But with a team that's this limited offensively and defensively, to be honest, because they've been a roller coaster on that end of the floor all year, it seems as if, like, if you're going to have someone like Doug McDermott, they got to be on. And if they're not on, you kind of got to pull the plug quick and just ride it out with whomever else can at least offer something for you defensively. Yeah, I mean, I think that it is a little harsh, but it's true. I mean, there really is no way around that. If he's not knocking down shots, then he's not really providing much on the court. And I think another thing that's important to mention when we talk about his salary, because you say, you know, he makes $13.75 million for the next two years. It's fully guaranteed. So it's not like they can just cut him or, you know, it's partially guaranteed. And so, they, you know, they can eat that money. They can't. That's a lot of money. And so if you're under the impression that he needs to come off the bench, fine. You know, if you want to try to make that work, fine. But if you're trying to trade him, I don't like what is his value? Because I know a lot of people said, oh, you know, the Spurs overpaid and the Spurs typically have to overpay to get someone to come to San Antonio. And he's a guy who talked about, you know, I really wanted to play for Coach Pop. I respect Coach Pop. He's an icon like I want to be here. So if he wants to be here, great. If you want to try to make it work, great. But I think one of the important things to make it work with Doug is find a way to make him an effective cutter again. Like, we've watched all season long, and one thing that's really, really stood out to me is the fact that the cutting numbers look significantly different than they did a year ago. You know, he's not cutting as often or effectively as he did with the Pacers. His field goal percentage has dropped from 77.1% on cuts with the Pacers in 2020-2021 to just 61.5% with the Spurs this season. And the other thing 
is his teammates connected on him about two times per game on cuts last year. This year, it's less than one. So I just, like, you asked the question earlier, you know, are they utilizing him correctly? Are they maximizing his talents? I don't think so. And I, I don't know why that is the case. Like, I understand that there's not as much shooting on the Spurs as there was on the Pacers last year. I understand that Jakob Pertl kind of has to be stationed in the paint, so that clogs things sometimes. I understand DeJounte Murray wants to get to the paint or he wants to shoot a mid-range jumper, but it feels like you should be able to get this guy open with as well as he moves off ball, and the movement just hasn't been there. And I don't know if that's like a, a personnel thing like we're talking about now or if it's a Doug thing, but they got to figure that out because for this to work, he's got to move off ball. He's got to be an effective cutter. Yeah, do you think that actually a move to the bench would actually work better within that like because you mentioned how like obviously the cutting the cutting stuff just personnel wise right DeJounte likes to get to the rim Jakob has to stay pretty I don't think Jakob's gonna be shooting you know pull up mid-range jimmies anytime (laughs) soon do you think potentially a move to the bench would actually work out better because I could see it I definitely could see it but even then I still can't get over the fact of like you brought him in to start if you end up benching him just kind of psychologically, like, I don't know what that would do for him. I don't think he would, you know, be his confidence would be shaken or anything like that. But I think the overall fit, you know, his play style, it, I mean, especially with the personal the Spurs have, it might be better for a bench move. I would love to hear your opinion on that, though. Yeah, it's strange because, like, I, I love Keldon Johnson. And yes, he is the second leading scorer on this team. And I think, you know, he has some potential that he can become better than he is right now. Obviously, you know, he's only like 22 years old. He's shown quite a bit, but he's also fairly limited. And thinking of the Spurs starting lineup, removing Doug McDermott from that, you lose a lot of spacing. Like, I understand that Keldon Johnson is also shooting about 41-42% from three, but the shot versatility is nowhere near what Doug McDermott provides. You know, Doug can shoot coming off screens, he can run, you know, around the court, relocate, he can shoot going left, he can shoot going right, he can shoot going into a shot, he can shoot falling away from the hoop. Like, he can also shoot when he's stationary. And you look at Keldon Johnson, and he is just a stationary shooter. So you remove Doug McDermott from the equation, the gravity that he has as a shooter, his ability to be pretty much anywhere, any scenario as a shooter. What does that do to San Antonio's offense? Like, they're going to have to replace that somewhere. I don't know that Doug you know, is going to be able to be replaced by a guy like Keldon. Like, respectfully, he hasn't shown any ability to shoot coming off screens. He's not shooting off movement. He doesn't shoot off the dribble. He had one the other night against the Hornets when Montrez Harrell sagged off him and he was standing in the paint. And so, like, of course you're going to take that shot. But, man, I, I just don't know. It is a weird predicament to be in. I think he would be fine off the bench, but it worries me, like, what does it do to San Antonio offensively? But, again, he's so bad defensively, maybe it offsets. So, I don't know. It is a really weird predicament that they're in. I don't know how they handle it. But at the very least, as I mentioned earlier, consider moving on from him and not like cutting him because obviously you owe him all that money but like consider trading him I don't know because I think you can upgrade there as well and man it's it it is just a weird place to be in you're a rebuilding team whether you know fans want to admit that or not and so you're gonna have to make hard decisions and thank god you know a a guy like Brian Wright is making them and not me because I don't (laughs) I don't even know where I would begin honestly I don't know where I would begin yeah, and I think last but not least, let's take a look at where the Spurs, you know, sit in the play-in race, and if they can honestly sneak into the play-in tournament during the final leg of the regular season schedule. Noah, I didn't think we'd be here, brother. I'm not gonna lie to you, bro. <laughs> I did not think after you know the trade deadline and everything like that, we this would even be a discussion. But 
you know, while we're diving into this topic, why don't we, you know, both answer the question as to whether or not the silver and black should strive <laughs> to make the play-in. Noah, you're going to go first, bro. Should the Spurs aim for the play-in for a second consecutive year? Yeah, that's a tough one. If you're asking me, and I think you know where I stand, I think most Spurs fans probably know where I stand, <laughs> I would say no. That's not to say that they should just, you know, sit DeJounte and Jakob and, and, you know, bench everybody and let's roll out Primo and Trey and let's get Devonte Kaycock and Joe Wieskamp minutes and let's bring up DJ Stewart and Robert <laughs> Woodard the second. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that they should tank. Like, by all means, continue to try to win. Like, that's how good organizations run a rebuild. They're trying to be constructive. They're trying to build something. They're not just trying to break everything down to get the number one guy. But if you're in a position where you could potentially have a really nice player in the draft on your hands, like, for example, Dan Weiss the other night on the Toronto Raptors broadcast said, you know, everybody who has been in the seventh best lottery odds over the last four years has hopped into the top four of the lottery. The Spurs are seventh place right now there. They have the seventh best lottery odds. I'm not saying that it's going to happen. Like eventually that streak has to end. But if, you, if you're in this position where you need an influx of talent, you need a four, you need a five, this draft is top heavy with fours and fives. I just don't understand why you wouldn't at least try to be, you know, aiming for a better lottery pick while still trying to get your guys experience. So yes, like give Josh Primo minutes. Let's see what he can do. Let Lonnie have some more opportunities on ball. Let's see what Keldon Johnson can do on ball because that's going to be important to his development as a player. I understand what DeJounte can do with the ball in his hands. I know that he's touched the ball, you know, more than four players in the entire NBA. I understand he can get you, you know, 29 and 9 on a nightly basis. 29 and 9 from DeJounte with this supporting cast, it's got you barely in the playing picture. So let's see what other guys can do while trying to build for the future. And also aim for that lottery odds. Like, to me, that's the best case scenario is that you're losing close games, you're still trying to win, and you're getting experience for guys. Because if you're in the play-in, Dame, you're going to get the 12th, 13th, 14th. And if you make the playoffs and you get swept by, you know, the Jazz or the Suns, then you're looking at like the 16th, 17th, and 18th Worst pick. case scenario. And, and to me, yep. you don't want to be there. Yeah. Like, you don't want to be there. <laughs> yeah, I think... I, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said. I think in terms of striving to make the play-in, no. I don't think that should be your priority right now. I definitely think it's getting everyone touches, everyone opportunities to kind of help better their, you know, further their de development. I don't think making a play-in, hoping you get number 10. I don't think the Lakers, even though the Lakers have been awful this year, I don't think they're going to lose the ninth seed. So you're going to get 10th, probably get sl uh, slapped up really quick in, in the play-in game. And then you're picking, what, 9, 10? Like, that's worst-case scenario. Like, I think the Spurs should definitely say if they make the play-in uh, on top of, you know, their guys getting some, you know, some good touches, some good reps, then, yeah, cool. That you made the play-in, you know, you're you're kind of doing a little bit of both right now, winning, getting some guys some important in-game reps, uh, kind of the best of both worlds. But I don't think, like, when I mean striving to make the play-in, I think that means, like, not giving Keldon Johnson these specific opportunities, not letting Primo play, not letting Trey Jones play, not doing this. That's what I think of, right? And no, the Spurs shouldn't be doing that at all. And in terms of, you know, striving and actually trying to, no, they're going to play the 19th. They have, they play, they have the 19th uh, toughest schedule remaining right now. The, the Pelicans have the 26th, right? The Portland Trailblazers have the third, have the basically the easiest schedule going forward, and they've looked awful. They've lost six in a row. The Pelicans have dropped three games in a row. Sacramento is four and eight since the Sabonis trade. They're awful. Like, 
who knows what's going to happen. Like, it's a real possibility. Like, even if me and you are saying, no, they shouldn't strive to do it, these other teams are so (laughs) bad, and the Spurs schedule is easy enough that, like, it's definitely a possibility. Like, I'm kind of leaning, like, like like 40-60 right now. Not 60-40, 40-60 that they'll actually make it. Like that's what I'm gonna go further. I'll take that further. I think it's a seventy. I, I would go seventy thirty that they make it. Yeah. I I do not see them missing out, and like that's kind of what it frustrates me a little bit because it feels like the Spurs aren't really doing anything necessarily to like constitute them winning, right? They yeah. they are sort of like still lo- like I think they've lost four of their last five games, so they shouldn't really be in a position to be in there. But like you mentioned, everybody else has been so 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 bad. I mean, like you mentioned the Sabonis trade has kind of like blown up in Sacramento's face. They were saying, you know, we're all in for the playoffs. We're getting Dante DiVincenzo. We're getting Sabonis. We're getting Holiday. We're also going out and we're grabbing Trey Lyles. Like, this is, this is our push. You're four and eight. You fall in two games below the, the, the Spurs in the standings. Like, that, that's not good. And then Portland, like we talked about this the other day. We texted back and forth. Portland has been so, 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 so bad. And I think it's intentional. They started a lineup. Dame, they started Josh Hart, Brandon Williams, Elijah Hughes, CJ Ellaby, and, and former Spur, Drew Eubanks. Like that, you're not trying to win. They lost by 38 in that game to the Jazz. Like, there's just so many circumstances that it's pointing to the Spurs making it. And and not last but not least here, and I know I'm sort of like kind of going off the rails. I'm no, getting good. like kind of caught up in my words, but could the universe want the Spurs to make the play in more than CJ McCollum getting COVID-19, Zion Williamson's return being pushed back even further, and on top of all that, Brandon Ingram suffering a hamstring injury that's going to sideline him until late this month. Like, those are all the teams that they need to be beating that they to, to get in the play-in, and, and all those teams are falling apart as we speak. Yeah. I, the, well, the crazy thing, too, is speaking about that Portland game, I literally texted you, I was like, hey, bro. Uh, you know, I'm tired, you know, just got back from work, blah, 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 right? And then I turn on the TV, and I didn't even need melatonin because I just saw – I just turned on that Portland and Jazz <laughs> game, and I saw them starting starting Josh Harden, Drew Eubanks, and down by 50 or whatever, and I was like, oh, yeah, no, nah, it's time to go to bed. Yeah, no, nah, I, don't, I don't need to worry about it. It's that. a wrap. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, and, yeah, like, it's it's honestly – it's a <laughs> – it's a pretty strong possibility that the Spurs are going to make the play in, and like it's, I'm I'm happy for them that you know I, I really I'm anticipating. I said forty sixty, but I'm not going to lie. A, part, a piece of me just thinks it's going to happen, and I'm happy for them. Right, really, really cool, good for them. But man, you talk about needing you know some good draft odds and really needing guys that can you know essentially make a difference for you. I think man, landing in the top four would have been perfect for this team. Uh, it's still a possibility, right? Something could happen and. Um, not injury, but you know the Spurs could you know fall off a little bit and lose some games, and you know who knows, right? They're still in the lottery or in the early lottery or whatever. But it just seems Noah like all the signs are pointing that they're going to make the play-in. Good for them. I'm happy for them. But at the same time, it just doesn't hit the same when you could have possibly had a shot at Chet or Paolo or Jabari Smith, man. So who knows, right? Who knows? <laughs> And I think the the last thing that is honestly like really driving me crazy right now, like I'm not going to lie, I watch every Spurs game with like bated breath and then I'm watching all the other games around the league. My like palms are sweaty. I'm like, oh my God, like every single game has play in, playoff, lottery implications. The Los Angeles Lakers, we saw them the other night, right? They, they played the Spurs. They were really bad. They didn't have LeBron. Russell Westbrook was god awful. 
the rest of that team was barely holding it together. The Spurs missed, you know, like 16 of their 30 free throws or something like that. And of all those games, that was like the game that I was like, okay, like the Spurs didn't deserve to win that at all. And they still won. Like they still were able to come out and and finish this game, even though they didn't, they didn't make a single field goal in, in, in crunch time. <laughs> it was all from the free throw line after spending the entire game missing free throws. Yaka Pirtle comes to the rescue, goes a perfect four for four in the clutch at the free throw line. And on top of that, I went back the next day and I went, okay, let's look at the two minute report. Cause I just like to see what the refs missed. The refs missed two fouls on Malik Monk at the rim shooting fouls, which, you know, if they make those free throws, he gets to the free throw line. Even if he only makes half of them game over, you know, it's game over for the Spurs at that point. So I just was like, man, it really feels like the universe is pining for the Spurs to get into the plan. I don't know what it is. But the other thing that just is like, wow, I cannot believe this. Los Angeles has not won a road game since January 25th, Dame. 11 of their last 17 games are on the road. Like, they're they're not going to... I honestly think they may not be in the plan. They may fall out. Like, the Spurs may, you know, supplant them in the 10th seed or the 9th seed. Like, it makes me nervous. Like, I'm, I'm going to be happy if they make the plan. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, that's good for them. They're going to make the plan. They're going to be competitive, whatever. You know, if they make the playoffs, good, great, great experience for the young guys. But I I think still, like, at the end of the day, for an organization that builds through the draft, I think you have to have at least, like, a little bit of self-awareness to realize that most of your guys didn't, you know, you didn't draft them at, like, 30 or 28 or 29. Like, yes, you you got DeJounte at 29. You got Tony at 28. You got Manu at 57. You got Kawhi at 15. But for every Kawhi and Manu and Tony and and, uh, DeJounte, you know, there, there's a guy like Corey Joseph who's just, you know, he's just a role player. Kyle Anderson, who's just a role player. James Anderson, who's a bust. Olivia Jean-Charles, who never plays a minute in the NBA. You know, so like, do you want to hedge your bets on finding your guy, you know, next to DeJounte? Your, you know, your secondary star, your third star next to DeJounte with the 18th, the 20th, the 24th pick. Whether that's your pick or the Raptors pick or the Celtics pick. Like, to me, you know... Good. You like Tari Eason? Great. I do too. You know, do you like Keegan Murray? Great. I do too. Are they probably going to become the next superstar that the Spurs need to get back to contention? No, probably not. The odds are no. So is it impossible? No, we've seen it before from the Spurs. They can make a little magic work, but man, like hedging your bets on that, that's tough. I mean, it just, it makes me a little bit worried for what they're going to do the rest of the season. I know we saw Joe Wieskamp and Devontae Kaycock get converted from two-way contracts to full-way contracts, and so now it seems like you know maybe they want to get them minutes. But, I mean, they haven't really played since then. The Spurs still have something to play with or to play for, and that's kind of what makes me nervous is this play-in tournament, it's great for com- competitive basketball if you want everybody competing for the playoffs, but, man, a few years ago, no play-in tournament, the Spurs might have packed it in yeah. at that point. They're not playing for <laughs> yeah. anything. Like, they're, they're not playing for anything. So, man, love the play-in tournament for what it brings in terms of bringing teams to the, to the, to the brink there, and they, they're really fighting to get in the playoffs and the tooth and nail, and there's no one really outright tanking except for maybe, like, two or three teams. But, man, like, I would be lying if I said I wouldn't have been okay with the Spurs at this point when the play, play-in tournament did not exist, just going, okay, let's, let's, let's see what we have in Josh Primo. Let's see what we have in Keldon. Let's get Lonnie reps. Let's get Joe reps. Let's get Devonte reps, and you know, let's let's put Dejounte and, and Keldon or you know whoever on ice because this season's a wrap. But there is no wrap with the playing tournament. There is no wrap. It's literally last day. You can fight till the last minute. So, 
Man, it yeah. just—I guess it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, Brad, I, I'm not gonna lie to you. If the Lakers, if the Spurs take the Lakers playing spot, oh my goodness, I I'm gonna be so excited to see all the takes flying <laughs> everywhere about the Lakers missing the play. And I'm not even one of those Laker haters. Like LeBron's my favorite, probably like my second or third favorite player of all time. But like. Oh my god! See, this isn't even a Lakers pod, so I can't even go into depth from what I've seen about that team. But just know, man, thank God we're not in a situation like the Lakers right now. I think every Spurs fan can take an, can just take a sigh of relief that the Spurs don't got those kind of issues right now. So that that just does it for me, brother. I I, I think I think that's a good note to end on. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I, I think that is probably a good note to end on. I just wanted to throw one last little tidbit in there. So I was on the Anthony Irwin show. He He's a writer for who writes about the Lakers for SB Nation. And he was talking about like what frustrated him most about the rebuilding years of the Lakers, right? And so he said one of the things that really, really frustrated him is when the Lakers were really, really bad, right? They, they just, they're, they're no chance of making the playoffs. But their coach kept doing this thing where, all right, you know, we're, we're an upstanding organization. We're going to do things the right way. So when it came down to crunch time, instead of playing guys like D'Angelo Russell, instead of playing guys like Jordan Clarkson, he said, yo, Ronnie Price, get out there. Like, respectfully, if the Spurs, like, end up playing Josh Richardson a lot of minutes and Josh Primo doesn't get too many minutes here and there or Lonnie doesn't get many minutes, I'm going to be a little disappointed because – Fine. You want to make Josh Richardson a part of your future? Go right ahead. But if you're not really convinced that he's going to be a part of this organization long term and you're playing him at the expense of getting experience for Primo, for Lonnie, for Trey, man, what are you doing? Like, really, what what are you doing? Because those are guys who are going to be here a long time. You don't know if Josh Richardson is going to be here for a long time. So love Josh. I don't think like, is it right to sit him at the end of the bench? Maybe, maybe yes, maybe no. But you're looking at what to do in a rebuild. I don't know if the right thing is giving a guy who's you know 27, 28 years old, you know 20 plus minutes a night at the expense of younger guys when you're still rebuilding, when you're barely in the playing race. So, man, again, I know I kind of rambled there. We, we've we've let our frustrations out. We've talked about it. You know, we're gonna be fine either way, or I'm gonna convince myself I'm fine either way. But <laughs> this about wraps things up. It does it for today. So, man, thank you so much for hopping on the pod with me. Why don't you go ahead and let everybody know where they can find your content, plug anything that you want, let Spurs fans know where to find you and follow you on social media. And, uh, man, just I'm discombobulated a little bit, but <laughs> the floor is <laughs> yours. Yeah, everyone go follow me on Twitter <laughs> at D.A. Bartonic. That's at D-A-B-A-R-T-O-N-E-K. No podcast next week. I'll be in New Orleans. Like I mentioned earlier, I was, I'm on spring break. I'm only going for two days, but, yeah, man, I'm going to have a good time. Maybe <laughs> I'll see Zion out there and convince him to come to the Spurs. Who knows? And yeah, just you know, check out all my football stuff. I have a lot of football stuff coming out right now, just because you know the NFL drafts here. You know, a lot of you know Spurs stuff, pounding the rock. You know, all that good stuff. So check out everyone, holler at us, man. We do a lot of good stuff over there. So yeah, Noah, thanks for having me, and uh, yeah, man, I, I enjoyed this one. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you to everybody who tuned into this edition of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, again, don't forget to subscribe. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've got a fantastic staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock who do an amazing job of keeping everybody up to date with their favorite team. So check our stuff out. But until next time, Spurs fans, take care.